you have your Bible this morning, let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, please. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 13. And whenever you find the place, just leave your Bible open there. We'll be turning to a few verses uh, later on uh, throughout the Word of God. And then give me your attention, please. Last week we took our text from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Whenever the Apostle Paul, he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And we took that verse and we saw how on a daily basis, you and I as the people of God, we face an enemy. Every day the devil and his hordes of emissaries as we heard about last Sunday night are on the prowl to seek to destroy and to, dis- to, de- to distract and to discourage us from going on and going through with God. Every moment of the day they are waiting just for that opportune moment to pounce upon us. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness. Did you know, dear friends, this morning, if we could see into the spiritual realm, We would see in the heavenlies a battle that has been going on for centuries of time. You'll read about Daniel whenever Daniel prayed that the angel was hindered for 21 days because of the prince of the power of Persia. And you and I, we face an enemy. And we not only saw that he is an enemy, but he has a strategy because he seeks to get the advantage. He seeks to get the upper hand. He seeks to overrule in our lives. He seeks to, as he said, discourage and manipulate and to take us away from the things of God. But not only did we see that we face an enemy, and not only did we see that he has a strategy, we also saw that he has a mass of artillery. He has darts and he has devices that he uses. And the artillery that the devil uses, he uses time and time again because they work. The devil doesn't waste his time in things that don't work. Whenever the devil gets a device that works, he uses it again and again and again. The last Sunday morning we lifted out one device and that was the device of division. And as we look back over the centuries of time, the church age or even our own nation, we can see how effectively he has been using the device of division. More schisms, more splits, more division among the people of God than there's ever been before. And then we asked ourselves the question, well, if God wants us as the people of God to be in unity, we need to know what scriptural unity is. And we finished off last Lord's Day morning by going to Psalm 133. And we saw that there was four traits of true scriptural unity. It's marked on the family. It's where the brethren dwell together. It's marked by fellowship. And it's marked by a fragrance because it's like the precious ointment that was poured upon Aaron's head. I don't know if you know or not, but God is very interested in fragrances. Some of you women, and I had this experience during the week, some of you women, what you'll do, you'll maybe go into Boots or Gardens and you'll get yourself one of those wee small testers of perfume. And then you'll maybe put it on for a few days and you'll say to your husband, like Charlotte said to me, do you smell my new perfume? You could maybe buy me that for Christmas. And you know, that's what you ladies will be doing. And if you haven't thought about it, you'll be doing it now. But God is interested in fragrances. 
You know, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross of Calvary, there was a fragrance that went into the nostrils of God. Because the Apostle Paul said that the Lord Jesus Christ, he offered himself to God as a sweet-smelling sacrifice. My, in that day, in the heat of the battle, when the hordes of the emissaries of the devil were gathered against the Son of God, there was a fragrance that rose into heaven. It was a sweet smell. But you know, dear friends, this morning our prayers are described as a fragrance. Because it says in Revelation chapter 5 that there's containers in heaven and they're filled with odors, the prayers of the saints. And you know, whenever you dear ladies are standing at the kitchen sink and you're doing your dishes, and unbeknownst to anyone else, you're lifting your heart to God for your family, lifting your heart to God for your own needs, there's a fragrance that rises to the very nostrils of God. Whenever you dear men are in your van or in your, on your farm and you, you lift your heart to God silently, just inwardly, there's an aroma that rises into the heart of God. And the question that I have been asking myself, Lord, how much of an aroma, how much of a sweet-smelling fragrance is rising from my prayer life? But not only are our prayers described as a sweet-smelling savor, our giving is described as a sweet-smelling savor. Because Paul in Philippians chapter 4 He mentioned about the gift that the believers in Philippi sent to Paul and he said it was as a sweet odor unto God. And you know, you you dear people, as you give to the work of God, whether it's to this assembly or whether it's to missionaries, before that money hits the bottom of the box, while no one else has seen it, while no one else has seen that offering or the amount of money, I want to tell you there's an odor that rises to God. And while it may be unnoticed by others, I want to tell you it's not unnoticed by God. Because he that sows will reap. But you know, our praying is not only described as an odor, and our giving is described as an odor. But Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in the same place where we got our text of Scripture last week, he tells us that our testimony ought to be a sweet-smelling Sacrifice. He says that Jesus Christ, he maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. We are a savor of fragrance unto life and unto death. And how many of us, we need to take a spiritual audit of our lives and we need to say, Lord, what sort of an aroma is my testimony sending up? Because if we are living out of touch with God and out of fellowship with our brethren, there'll be no sweet-smelling savor. You see, if we owe people money, there'll be no fragrance. If we're involved in slander or gossip, there'll be no odor to heaven. It'll not be a sweet-smelling sacrifice. But then our worship is described as an odor. You'll remember whenever Mary Magdalene came, she was poor. The only possession that she probably had was the clothes on her back and an alabaster box in the home. And Mary Magdalene, whenever Lazarus was sitting at the table and Martha was was there serving, it says, then came Mary. And she brought the alabaster box of spikenard, pure nard, pure liquid nard, very precious. And she broke it in the presence of the Son of God and she anointed his head and it ran down to his feet and it says the odor filled the house. And you know, dear friends, that's exactly what God wants in the house of God on a Sunday morning. As you and I to come with our alabaster box, all that we have, all that we are, and just say, Lord, you're worthy of it all. Break the alabaster box and pour it out and say, Lord, I'm glad that you saved me. I'm glad that I'm a child of God. I'm glad this morning that I've been changed. I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad I'm not what you used to be. And it's all because of what you have done for me. And you see, dear friends, whenever God gets a group of people like that together, you know what happens? There's an odor that rises. It rises into the very heart of God. And it pleases Him. It pleases Him. 
But not only is her praying and her giving and her worshiping, our unity brings a fragrance. A fragrance of sweet-smelling ointment into the very nostrils of God. And we saw that last Sunday morning. Now I want to go on this morning. And I'm just going to lift out one more device today. One device that God has, the devil has been using among God's people down through the very ages of time since the conception of the church. And I, even before, whenever Israel was born, the devil used the very same device in their day. And the device that I want to talk to you about this morning not only affects the church worldwide, it not only affects the church in Ireland, but it may affect this very assembly here. I could even go even further than that, and I could say it may even affect someone that's sitting on your very pew today. It may even affect you. And the device that I want to bring to your heart this morning is the device of deception. Deception. Because our brother Bertie here the other Sunday night, he lifted out from Matthew chapter 24 that in the last days, the very first thing that will happen, the very first sign of the end times is deception. Four times in that chapter, Matthew's gospel chapter 24, the word deception is found. Now I want you to come just for a moment to 2 Corinthians and keep your finger there in Matthew's gospel 13. I want you to come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're just going to bring the word of God to you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because I want to tell you that the devil is a master deceiver. He's a master at deception. You see, there's three types of deception that are found in the Bible. Someone else can deceive you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, let no man deceive you. Someone could deceive you. But then there's self-deception. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. But there's not only self-deception, there's satanic deception. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, that's what we're facing in these dark, dark days in the, in the church of Jesus Christ is deception Everywhere. Now, if you cast your eye to the verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul is speaking about the devil, he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. You see that word transform there? That word is the word to disguise. And times in the Christian experience and down through the ages of the church, the devil has come with a disguise. He comes to deceive. You remember in the Garden of Eden? You remember whenever Eve was out on her own that the serpent came to her and he came in his subtlety and it says that he deceived Eve through his subtlety. That word deception there is the word to delude, to be deluded. And you know, dear friends, that you and I in the church of Jesus Christ, those of us that are saved, you and I today, we need to be so careful that the devil does not deceive us because he comes as an angel of light, transforms himself. If you turn back again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And one of the great deceptions in the church today, and I'm just following on from my brother the other night, is false teachers in the church. False teachers in the church. Peter could say that in the last days there shall be false teachers among you. And I want to say this morning, we're not living in the last days anymore. Peter said that in the last days there shall be teachers. But we're not in the last days anymore. We're in the last seconds. We're in the last moments of this dispensation of time. At any moment, the Lord Jesus is going to burst the clouds and take the church out. And Apostle Peter, he says that in these last days that there will be deceivers, false prophets, false teachers among the people. Jude said that they've crept in unaware. 
They've got collars, they've got gowns, they've got pulpits, they've got ministries, they've got churches, they've got PhDs and names and doctorates and titles. But he says they've crept in unaware. He describes them as clouds without water, trees that are withered, waves of the sea, stars that are wandering in the blackness of darkness and they're reserved forever. And they're here today. Paul said that they're ministers of Satan, deceitful workers. Because of them, the love of many shall wax cold. The Lord Jesus himself said that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They come with the bleat of the lamb, but they come with the bite of a wolf. And they're deceiving so many people today. Give me your money and I'll pray for you. I heard of a church recently in America, and they had a day of prayer, and there was three aisles in the church, And if you came down this far aisle here, you had to give £50 to get prayed for. If you came down the center aisle, you had to pay 150 And if you went down this side, you had to pay 500 just to get people to pray. That's deception. That's deception. And so many today are falling for the deception of the enemy. They're being deluded. Deluded. You see, these false teachers and these false preachers have taken away the truth of the blood. They've taken away the word of God and like that old ungodly king in the Old Testament, they've got a pen knife and they've shredded it and they take out everything that they don't agree with and they've butchered the word of God. But not only is there false teachers, there's false doctrine. Paul said to young Timothy, he said, for they will not endure sound sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll not endure the truth. And so many today in Christendom, if you look across our land, churches that used to stand for the truth are no longer doing it. Denominations that used to stand for the word of God. Denominations that used to preach the blood and all the full counsel of God. They're not doing it today. And they've heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. Whenever you hear the Archbishop of Canterbury, one of them a few years ago saying, He said, I I, I believe that I'll see atheists in heaven. He said, I believe that there'll be Mormons and Muslims there. Though they didn't know anything about Jesus, they'll be in heaven. And then he went on to say, I expect to see Judas in heaven. Whenever one of the moderators of the Methodist church said this about, about John the Baptist, he said that Zechariah, he locked, he locked, uh, he locked, uh, the Lord Jesus' mother, Mary, in the temple and had intercourse with her. And, and the Lord Jesus is the illegitimate child of, of Zechariah. I want to tell you, dear friends, that's false doctrine. Whenever men and women deny the person of Christ and his purity and his godliness and his divinity and his power and his authority and his majesty, that's false doctrine. And they're everywhere today. False truth. Two of the most prevalent false doctrines in the church today is hyper-grace and hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-grace will tell you that you can do whatever you want, when you want, where you want, and even though you made a profession, God will forgive you before you even do it. And they use the grace of God as a doormat. And they say where grace of sin abounded, grace does much more abound. And they say, well, you can drink and you can smoke and you can get involved in immorality. You can be married and divorced and married again and divorced and go on and on and God will forgive you. I want to tell you that's false teaching. That's false doctrine. That's that's deceiving the people of God by the word of God. They've made a license for sin. And it's sweeping the church today. And then the truth of the doctrine of hyper-Calvinism that's saying you don't need to pray. You don't, need to, you don't need to try to win the lost. You don't need to do missions. You don't need to knock doors. God will do it without you and I. And it's brought in laziness and among the people of God. I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, we need to pray and cry and witness like never before. And that's why we need to pray for Robert as he's out in the open air. That's why we need to pray for one another. Lord, put a burden on our heart. Let us not become apathetical to the things of God. Lord, may you use me. Put a burden in my heart for the unsaved. And so many today are resting on their laurels. 
Whenever William Carey, that young Baptist minister of a bygone day, he went to the Baptist society. He said, I want to go out to the heathen in Africa. I want to be sent out as a missionary for God. I want to burn my life out. He was only a cobbler. He only fixed people's shoes. Whenever he went into that, that committee, the man says, young man, whatever God will do, he'll do it without you. He'll not need you. William Carey, that young man, he went home and he says, Lord, you've called me. I want to do whatever I can. And William Carey was one of the greatest missionaries that Britain ever saw. Thank God he didn't listen to that, that doctrine. Thank God he wasn't deceived by that, 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 that doctrine that's being propagated across our land today. Don't do anything, just sit at home. I'm glad that there was people who prayed for me. I'm glad that there was people that met over in that bar night after night and said, Lord, Stephen Riddle, he's getting drugs and he's in sin. Lord, he's getting harder and worse every day. And there's some of you here this morning that you prayed me into the kingdom. And I'm here today because you prayed for me. Let us do that for others. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And if you want to sit in your laurels, sit away. But I want to be burnt out for God. I want to go through for God. I want to be like those men and women here and other places across our land that will say, Lord, I want to put my shoulder to the wheel and like you dear folk during the week and this holiday Bible week, those young people, my, I want to tell you, we were so encouraged, so encouraged. Everybody doing their bit for God. Oh, friends, that's exactly what God wants to see is men and women doing their bit for God. But let me tell you this. False teachers and false doctrine, they're easy enough to see. The Lord Jesus said of false teachers, he says, ye shall know them by their fruit. And most of us here this morning, we could point out those that are preaching heresy. Most of us here, we could point out a false teacher and false doctrine because of the word of God. You just need to be in the book and you'll, you'll know who they are. But I want to close this meeting this morning by talking to you about one deception that is so hard to discern in the church today. In fact, it's probably the hardest, the very hardest deception to uncover. And it's not false teachers. And it's not false doctrine. This is what it is. It's false professions. False professions. And that's why I said this morning that this, this deception may even have involved someone on your very pew this morning. I indeed it may even involve you. Because I want to tell you dear friend this morning our nation is full of profession. Full of decisions. Full of men and women that have a verse of scripture. Full of men and women that had a funny feeling or sensation. But there's no change in their life. No reality of God in their spiritual existence. False professions. Now I want you to cast your eye to the 24th verse of this 13th chapter of Matthew. Because these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I'm not here this morning to cast doubt on true conversion. And if you're really born again, saved by the Spirit of God, you have nothing to be concerned about here today. But the time has come in the church in Northern Ireland that we need to expose false professions. We need to be men and women that will stand up and we need to know. We need to know. Because there's going to be men and women who have sat under gospel preaching. Men and women that know the truth and know all about the gospel and they'll end up in hell because they've held on to a false profession. And I don't want anybody in this assembly to be deceived like that and that's why I'm preaching on this this morning. Verse 24. Another parable he or Jesus put forth unto them saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept. You know that text of scripture has burned into my heart. While men slept. Because whenever you and I as believers are sleeping, that's exactly whenever the enemy is doing his work. You remember Jonah. 
Jonah was that man that was called of God, the good and innocent. He had the call of God upon his life. God had anointed him for a specific task. And it says that he fled from the presence of God. He went down to Tarshish. He went down into the boat. Down, down, down. And whenever the waves of the sea were rising in that storm that God created, it says that Jonah was down in the side of the ship sleeping. And Jonah was sleeping whenever men were perishing. Men were perishing. William Burns, that young man that was mightily used of God in in Scotland, he went out with his mother into Edinburgh and she was doing a few last-minute things for shopping for Christmas. And as she was standing looking through the old window, she heard her son, the tears dripping down his cheeks and the sobs and the cries. And she says, what's wrong with you? And she says, Mommy, can you not hear them? Mommy, can you not hear the tramp, tramp, tramp of Christ's feet going out into hell? He wasn't sleeping whenever men were perishing. But Jonah was. Then you'll remember the disciples, the three disciples that the Lord Jesus took with him a little further into the garden and he, he said, watch with me. And it says that he went a little further and fell on the ground and began to pray, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. And then he got up and he went back and there they were, the three men that were on the Mount of Transfiguration. The three men that seen the miracles. The three men that seen Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. And they were sleeping. And they were sleeping whenever they should have been praying. How often, friends, how often. How often even this very preacher here this morning has been sleeping whenever I should have been praying. How often I should have been witnessing while men were perishing. And then you remember the bride in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite. It says, I sleep. That's what she says. She says, I'm asleep. I'm asleep. And it says, my beloved, he came and he knocked at the door. And he said, open on to me. I want to come in. I want to have fellowship with you. And she says, I've, I've put off my coat. I'm in bed. I've washed my feet. I don't want to dirty them again. Go away some other time. And then she said, I arose and went to the door and looked for my beloved. But he had withdrawn himself and he was gone. You remember that night whenever the rain was beating off the window and you woke up? God wanted to have a little time of fellowship, just you and him. Just like the Shulamite, you said, Lord, I'm in bed. I don't want to get up. It's too cold. And then you get up in the morning and you run into the study and you say, Lord, I'm here now, but he's not there. That sweet hour of fellowship is gone. You know, whenever, the, whenever you wake in the midnight hour, I was thinking the other morning, whenever little Emily woke and she began to cry. And I was lying in bed and I said, Lord, it's so cold. I'm so comfortable, Lord. I would just love to lie on. And he just shot into my mind. He said, that's exactly what the Shulamite said. Don't miss those hours of devotion, friends. Whenever God wakens you in the midnight hour, just even for a few moments, lift your heart to God. And she went to the door, but he was gone. He was gone. And whenever you and I are asleep, that's whenever the enemy does his bidding. Cast your eye to verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this morning, the source of these tares. Think about the source. The source is the enemy. Because the Lord Jesus went on to say, he said in verse 28, an enemy has done this. An enemy. We saw last Sunday morning that he sows discord among the brethren, but he also sows tares among the wheat. Deception. You see, tares are so like wheat that they're almost unrecognizable. Almost so hard to point out the difference. You see, the devil has imitations of everything that God wants to do. He's going to have an imitation Christ and whenever the tribulation comes. He'll have an imitation church. He'll imitate miracles. He has his own ministers. Ministers of Satan, he wants to imitate everything that God has, and he also will imitate conversion. And he sow tares among the wheat, 
And whenever the devil can't beat the church, he'll join the church. You remember whenever the children of Israel went over Jordan and they faced the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. But there was a group of people that were called the Gibeonites. And they just lived down the road, just a stone's throw from where Israel was camped. And they got old bottles and old bread and old clothes and they put them upon them and they they pretended to be men and women from a far country. And they deceived Joshua and the people of God and they got on the inside and they defiled the people of God. Deception. Imitation. Cast your eye at the end of verse 25. It says that he sowed tares among the wheat. That's the bidding of the devil. The devil has come to deceive and to, to imitate the people of God. So real. So near to the real thing. But not only is it the source of the tares, I want to talk to you now for a moment about the similarity of the tares. Because you see, it was whenever the fruit began to grow on the, on the wheat, it was then that they were able to be recognized. Cast your eye on down there for a moment to verse 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared also the tares. You see, the one thing that deciphers true conversion from false conversion is fruit. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. Because your soul's eternal destiny could be on the weight of this message this morning. I want to ask you a question. Have you got any fruit in your life? As you look back over your life from the day that you made your profession of faith, can you say, Lord, I have a life that's bearing fruit for you. A life of fruitfulness. You see, it was whenever the harvest was coming near, that's whenever the servants could see the difference. Wheat, whenever it's nearly ripe, the head of the wheat always bends down because of the weight of the fruit. Always the field of wheat, always bend down. But you see a tear because it's so light and there's no fruit, you know what it does? It just stands tall. Just stands tall. And that's how these servants could see that there was tears among the wheat. They said, Master, there's no fruit. No fruit. We heard that the other Sunday morning from our brother Alan. John 15, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Much fruit. We need to be men and women that will examine the evidences of our salvation. To know, to see if we're really saved or not. Really born again. Men and women that are bearing fruit for the person of the Lord Jesus. Did you ever think about this? Northern Ireland's full of backsliders. Did you ever think about that? My, you say to that, that person used to go on well with God, but they're not going on well now. Everybody seems to be a backslider. Backsliders everywhere. But has it ever occurred to us that maybe some of them are not saved at all? Does it ever occur to us that we're trying to make men and women spiritual that may not even be born again? Men and women that are depending on a verse. Men and women that are depending on a decision. With no reality. Whenever they hear about people talking about the presence of God in their life, they say, I can't identify with that. Whenever they hear people saying about a hunger for the word, they say, I can't identify with that. Whenever they hear someone talking about the joy of the Lord and victory over the sin, they say, my Christian experience is far removed from that. I want to tell you, dear friends, this is one of the greatest deceptions in the church in the West today, the deception of false profession. You see, whenever that 40-foot lorry hit me, a month or two ago, so bye. Whenever I went into hospital, the very first thing that they did was they put me into a CT scan. And I went into that little tunnel and was breathing a wee oxygen there. And I could see this thing going round and round and round in the light. And just before she shot me into that CT scan, you know what she did? She put dye into my vein. And I could feel it by just running up my arm. Down my arm, down my leg, right around And whenever I was down in that CT scan, them doctors could see not the outward appearance. They were worried about what happened on the inside. And you see, dear friends, what do you and I need to pray? Lord, put me into your CT scan. 
Lord, it doesn't matter what the outside appearance really looks like. What do you see in the heart? I want to tell you, dear friends, CT scans can get it wrong, but God's scan will never get it wrong. Never get it wrong. And whenever you get down before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you see in me? What do you see, Lord? You see, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And there's one man in the Bible, if you thought he was saved, you would have thought it by looking at his life, and that was Judas. Judas carried the bag. Judas saw miracles. Judas even, he even preached. And whenever the Lord Jesus in the upper room, he said, one of you will deny me. They all suspected themselves before they suspected Judas. Now you just listen to that this morning. They all suspected themselves and said, Lord, is it I? But they didn't suspect Judas. He was a tear among the wheat. So real. So near to the real thing. And then you read in Acts chapter 8 about a man. He was a sorcerer. He was called Simon. And whenever Philip went down into Samaria, it says that he preached unto them the gospel. And it says that this Simon believed. He believed. And then it goes on and says he was baptized. <laughs> and then it goes on, he says that he continued. And Philip thought he was some convert. Here's a man that was involved in witchcraft. He's believed and I've baptized him and he's continued. He's coming to all the meetings. He'll, he'll open the door. He'll, he'll put the heating on, turn the lights on. My, he's a mighty convert. But you see, whenever Peter came down filled with the Holy Ghost and apostolic power, he looked into the eyes of Simon and this is what he said. He says, thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent. You see, Peter could look right into that man's heart and he said, oh, Simon, everything's all right on the outside. But God's concerned about the inside. And some of you dear folk this morning, maybe there's young people here, and down in your heart, down in your heart, there's maybe many nights whenever you've lay in bed and said, Lord, I wonder, do I really have it? Do I really have it? Am I really saved? Am I really born again? Am I really on my way to heaven? Am I a child of God? You remember the parable of the virgins. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. But if you'd have went into that house that night, you couldn't have told one from the other. They all looked the same. They all did the very same thing because it says they all slumbered and slept. But it was whenever the Lord came, the, the bridegroom came, it was then that they, they got up and trimmed their lamps and they discovered the problem wasn't on the outside. The problem was on the inside. They had no oil. No oil. 50% of them had a false profession. <laughs> 50%. Let me ask you a question. Would you be in that percentage? Oh, you say to me, Stephen, I'm saved, I'm in. I've got it. Oh, I, I know it. I have bad days, and we all have bad days. We all know that. But you see, dear friends, we need to make our calling an election sure. Paul said to the church at Corinth, they had the gift of tongues, they had the gift of miracles, they had the gift of prophecy, they had pastors, they had teachers. And this is what he said, examine yourselves and see whether you be in the faith. And the church of Galatia went through the, tri the tribulation of Nero. Nero was burning them in lampposts and feeding them to the lions. And this is what Paul said. He said, you know, there's some of you dear folk in the church in Corinth. And this is what he said. I stand in doubt of you. I stand in doubt of you. I stand in doubt. And I've been praying during the week, Lord, oh God, don't let someone in this assembly or in any other assembly die in their sin and think they really had it. Don't let them perish, Lord. Don't let the devil delude them. Don't let the devil deceive them. I read this during the week. Listen to this now. I'm almost finished. One may have a knowledge of the word of God. They may have much light. They may know much about God and about his word. They may know much about Christ and his ways and be almost a Christian. Almost. Almost through. You see, there's one thing about a tear. If you had a tear, you'd die. 
Over in, uh, over in the east, there's one blade of grass that's poisonous, and it's a tear. It's a tear. And if you went out and you didn't know what you were looking for, and you lifted a tear and thought it was a bit of wheat and you started to eat it, the first thing that happens, you go blind. And then you become sick. And the third thing is you die. You die. It's deadly. And hell at this very moment on this Sunday morning, hell is filled. Filled with men and women that thought that they had it. Thought that they were in. They knew the verses. They knew the phrases. They had the suit that the King James. They had all of the standard. But down in their heart, to their Christian existence, I wonder, do I really really have it? And whenever death came, it was deadly. So you can see the source of these tears, it's the devil. You can see the similarity of the tears are so like the real thing. The devil's deception is so real that he simulates true conversion so well. But I want to talk to you for a moment now not about the similarity of the tear, and not only about the source of the tear. I want you to listen to this. Look at the sentence upon the tear. If you cast your eye to verse 30, and the Lord said, let them both grow together. Let them both grow together until the harvest. You see, that's the big deciding factor is the harvest. And in that time of harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. You can see there's two things that happen to tares. First, they're bound. And secondly, they're burned. Now, if you cast your eye on over just for a moment to the verse 38, and you'll get the interpretation of this parable. In verse 38, the Lord Jesus said, The field is the world. The good seed is the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. They're not saved. They're children of the devil. The enemy sowed them as the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. Verse 42. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Men and women that are diverse. Men and women that had a decision. Men and women that had a profession. And the angels are sent out and they're gathered together and they're bound and then they're burned. You say to me, Stephen, that couldn't happen. You say to me, Stephen, that's so, that's, that couldn't happen to me. You say, Stephen, in this meeting this morning, I, I, I can't understand that how someone would almost have the real thing and end up in hell. Now, you just come with me to, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. And we're dealing with souls this morning. The destiny of men's souls. And Luke's Gospel, chapter 13 and verse 24. The Lord Jesus speaking again, and this is what he said, Strive to enter in at the state gate. For many, put a ring round that word, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master is risen up and has shut to the door, and they begin to stand without a knock and to stand at the door saying, Lord, Lord. Actually, the translation of that is, My Lord. My Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto them, I know not when she are. Then shall they begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught us in her streets. But he shall say, I know ye not when she are. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I just said, We have been taught in your presence, Lord. We have sat in the minister, under the ministry of your word. We've sat even maybe around the Lord's table. We've had and drank in your presence. And now the door has been shut. And they start to knock on the door and say, Lord, Lord, let me in now. Lord, Lord, I was a good man. Lord, I was an evangelical fundamentalist in Northern Ireland. I stood for the truth. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. 
for I never knew. And did you notice where they go? They go to the place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. To be lost. To say, my God, I thought that I had it. My God, I thought that I was really saved. I thought that I really had it. And now when I look back over my life, there was no desire for the word of God. There was no desire for prayer. No desire for holiness. No desire to go through. I just thought that I was backslidden. I just thought I was like so many other believers that, that stopped running the race. And now out into eternity and the door of heaven shut and they begin to bang and say, Lord, open. Lord, open unto me. And then when I profess unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew. Lord, I was taught in your presence, I had in your presence. Depart. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, you haven't got time to turn to it this morning. But the very same passage that says it, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? Then will I profess unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity I never knew. Depart. Whenever Billy Graham began his ministry over in America, the Lord's hand was mightily upon him. There was another young man by the name of Charles Templeton who preached alongside him. He saw more souls than Billy Graham saw. People said that he had anointed a God upon him like no one had ever heard before. Men and women used to flee to the altar whenever he made the appeal. Billy Graham got to the stage where he just opened the meeting in prayer and then handed over to Charles Templeton. And after 40 years in the ministry of campaign after campaign, soul after soul, Charles Templeton came out one day and this is what he said, God doesn't exist. And this very moment, he's one of the greatest atheists in America. If he's still alive, he wrote a book on the day that God died. And you tell me, you tell me there'll not be souls in hell that had a false profession. Paul looked into the eyes of the church at Corinth and he says, man, make your calling and election sure, you be sure. Now let me talk to some of you young people here just as I close. There's some of you young people here and I have heard your parents weep for you in the prayer meeting. There's some of you here and you've made a profession of faith some years ago and there's no more change in your life. There's, not a, there's no point in anything. Come on. And there's been people here and they've been concerned for your soul. And if we were to come to you today and say, young man, are you saved? Oh, I'm saved. Oh, I hope you'll not be one of those people that'll knock it over. Lord, Lord, open unto me, Lord. Don't be, don't be joking anymore, Lord. Lord, open the door now. Come on, I was in the meetings and I made a profession. And the door doesn't even open, but there's a noise that comes from behind your door. You know what it is? He says, depart. I never knew. Now, young man, you have all your life planned out ahead of you. And you're resting your soul's destiny upon the pinhead of a false profession. But let me tell you this. Whenever death comes, whenever eternity comes, that little pinhead of profession will let you down. Now, that's no way to end a meeting on a Sunday morning. But thank God that while there's imitation and while there's counterfeit, I'm so glad that there's a real thing. I'm glad that a man or woman, anybody who, no matter the color of your skin, no matter what family you've been brought up, how well educated you are, I'm glad that it's possible to get to know God. I'm glad that there was a sacrifice that was made, that there was a door that is open. And no matter who you are today, you're able to go through that door and get saved and have your sins forgiven. And I'm so glad today that I'm saved. And I know it. I know it. And there's some of you here, you know it. And you can say like the blind man, I know once I was blind, but now I know. I know. But you need to give yourself a spiritual audit. You look back over your life and just say, Lord, I wonder how I got it. Now, if you're in this meeting and you suffer from lack of assurance, I would love to talk to you after this meeting. Maybe there's a mother here and you say, I don't know whether I'm saved. You, 
You talk to us, friends. We, we want to help you. I want to help you. Bertie, we want to help you. Adrian and Roy, we want to help you. And if you're suffering in this meeting from the lack of assurance, you come and have a word with us after the meeting. We're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to make a fool of you. But you make your calling and action sure. And if you're in this meeting and you've made a false profession and you know it's not real, there's no reality of the presence of God in your life, you know deep down in your soul, Lord, if I was to die now, I'm not ready to go. Would you not talk to us today and get this matter sorted out? Don't be like those in Luke chapter 13, friends, that are deceived by the devil all of their life and end up in hell because of some little profession of faith. Get the real thing. Whenever my Savior died on the cross, he died for the real thing, to give victory over sin, to give a holy life, to give a hunger for the word, to give a communion with God that's unbroken. That's what my Savior died for. And you could leave this very hall this morning coming in with a counterfeit and imitation, but thank God you could leave having the real thing. Oh, and leap ye lame for joy. Now, if I was to ask everybody to stand to your feet that's saved, or if I was to ask you to raise your hand, either some of you would shoot up and you wouldn't have a, a doubt about it. You know, you really know. But there's some of you would sit and you'd maybe put your hand in your pocket or you'd blow your nose. You're the sort of person we want to talk to today. You're the very person that God's after today. Because this is the very beginning of Christian experience. And if you come honestly and humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to make sure, I want to be real. Lord, I want to know what it is to have the real presence of Christ in my life. I want to really have a hunger for the word, Lord. I want to really get to know God. I want to, I'm sick of this world. I want to know you. You know what will happen? God will become more real to you than your husband or your wife. God will begin to communicate to you. And God will take you up and use you. But whatever you do, friends, don't die holding on, clutching on to a false profession. So you'll not promise me that this morning. Promise me you'll not die. But all you have is a verse of Scripture. All you have is a false profession. You come and have a word with us. May the Lord bless his word to his heart, our hearts. Let us bow in prayer. Thank you for listening so well this morning. If you want a wee word with us after the meeting, we're here to help you. The Lord knows them that are his. We could deceive one another, and I could even deceive you this morning. But oh, may the devil not deceive us into having, thinking we have something that's not real at all. Father, we just bow in your presence. We thank you for your love and for your compassion. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that there will not be souls listening or even in this meeting. We'll be among that company and it says that there'll be many. She'll begin to knock at the door and say, Lord, Lord, open unto me. And then they'll hear those awesome, fearful words, depart from me. I never knew. And they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, Father, we pray this morning, if there's those that are not saved in the note, that they'll flee to Calvary. They'll flee to the person of Christ. We ask, Lord, that indeed that you will continue to speak on. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.